Please open your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Galatians. Of course, Galatians chapter 5. And we continue to follow the Apostle Paul to this powerful epistle defending the true gospel of free grace. Galatians 5, our text, if you could find yourself to verse 19, please, 519, we'll read down through 26 to set this in our minds. Galatians 5, 19 through 26. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires, If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Verse 26, let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. Obviously, our passage puts in contrast between the deeds of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. Here in our text, here is the evidence of one's spiritual identity. In other words, here's the proof that one belongs to Christ. Here's the proof that one is believing in Christ alone for justification. Here is the evidence that one is being led by the Spirit and not walking in the flesh. Now, it's a truism throughout the Bible that the life lived, the, the, the habits that make up our lives, this, that, that which is practiced proves one's spiritual condition. The hidden reality of the heart is made known by the life that's lived out. The secret is uncovered by the life lived. The profession, my profession, is either validated or denied by my practice. For instance, Paul wrote this in Titus 1.16. He says, they profess to know God but by their deeds, they deny him, being detestable, detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. Now, notice they professed to know God, but by their life, they deny that reality. So then, our Lord called out the Pharisees for their hypocrisy, their, their, their legalism, right? their, their, their falseness. The legalism that they practice is, as you remember, we've said many times before, that legalism is the effort that you make to be right before God according to the rules of your choice. And the person caught up in legalism is more concerned with the outer appearance than with the inward reality. Listen to Matthew 23, verse 27 through 28. Our Lord, some of his strongest words are reserved for the scribes and Pharisees. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they're full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. So you too, he says to them, outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Okay, so again, the, the inner reality is going to be proven by the practice, okay? And there can be some, some shallowness in the life lived that's, that's trying to fake what is on the inside. But they will be known by their fruits, as was read earlier, Matthew 7, 15 through 17. I remind you, listen again. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, But inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So as every good tree bears good fruit, 
but the bad tree bears bad fruit. If you notice there, grapes are not gathered from thorns because they're not of the same nature. Thorns produce thorns, grapes produce grapes, like begets like, okay? Jesus went on to say this in Matthew 12, again, just reminding us that the life practice proves what's really inside. Either make the tree good, Matthew 12, 33 through 34, and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, he says, how can you, being evil, speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. Okay? The mouth speaks out which fills the heart. Just a few more here. Just so you see this is throughout the scriptures. Proof of regeneration is found in 1 John 4, 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Again, the acid test that one has a true love for God is a love for one another, you see. So the life lived out is proof of what's inside. John 13, 35, most people are familiar with this. Jesus says, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Again, the practice of loving one another is giving evidence of the inward reality that they are disciples of Christ. So coming to our passage then, it's found in Galatians 5, 19 through 26. It's showing the evidence of one's spiritual identity. Here's the proof of one's identity. Are you still in the flesh or are you in the Holy Spirit? Okay. Now in the context, I remind you that back in Galatians 5, verse 1, this section, Paul begins to apply the gospel to their lives. He's been teaching doctrine and defending the gospel in the first four chapters. You come to chapter 5, verse 1. He's now going to apply it to our lives. And what it, the gospel, among other things, in verse 1 is about freedom. It's about being set free in Christ, free from the demands, regulation, rules, and penalty of the law, being set free from sin, from the tyranny of sin. Okay. In Christ Jesus, we have been set free. So then, the application of the gospel, starting in chapter 5, verse 1, and on into the end of this book, is how is that freedom lived out? How is that freedom that you now have in Christ, how is that practically lived out? Well, it takes you then to five verse, chapter 5, verse 6, when he says this, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. Okay? So the freedom we have in Christ, that faith that we apprehend Jesus Christ and the justification, that faith is not inactive, it's not dormant, it's working, it's active. And so here it is where it says it's working through love. Then you come here to verse 13, just to connect this thread. It says in verse 13, For you were called to freedom, brethren. But notice, it's not for your, an opportunity to serve yourself, an opportunity to, to fulfill the lusts of the flesh. It's actually, in verse 13 at the end, through love to serve one another. We have been set free then in the gospel to be each other's slave. This is what he says here. Through love, serve one another. This, then, is the practice of freedom, the practice of liberty. This is the practical result, then, and purpose of justification by faith alone in Christ alone. The gospel of free grace produces this body, this fellowship, this community of slaves who are willingly submitting one to another and through love are serving one another. And it's a present tense. It's constantly. It is the habit of their life. Okay? Not imperfection. We already know that that's not true. But it is certainly the characteristic. It is the habit. It is the direction of this new life in Christ. This freedom that I have is not for me to, to fulfill the lust of my flesh. It is to put that aside and to serve you as a slave through love. That's why we've been set free. So then, again, legalism cannot do that. Only grace can do that. 
Legalism does not produce this love. Legalism does not affect the inside of the person. Legalism is only on the outside. It cannot affect your nature. Therefore, you can't fulfill this under legalism. It's only by grace. It's only the power of the Holy Spirit. Again, when you come to verse 16, please, the power for this freedom is found in verse 16, key verse, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. How can you and I obey verse 13? How can you and I love as a, and serve as a slave, we must walk by the Spirit. How do you stay away from verse 15? Notice verse 15. That's the legacy of legalism. If you bite and devour one another, take care you're not consumed by one another. Legalism stirs our pride. It comes from pride. It makes me introverted, and it, it naturally compares me to you. And then we get after one another, and that's what verse 15 is saying. We act like a bunch of animals. We're, we're cannibalistic. And if you've ever been a part or seen a legalistic congregation, they are always eating one another. That is their legacy. And you want to avoid that like the plague. You want to you cut ties and run. You want to be like Joseph. Get out of Dodge. Right? Get out of Dodge. Don't hang around those fellowships because they seek to devour. It's graceless. But grace produces what verse 13 is calling us to. And the way that you can do verse 13 is verse 16, which is walk by the Spirit. That is the power to carry out this liberty. And notice, and we're working our way, and it'll make sense, I trust, by the time we're done. The command in verse 16 is because of the conflict that rages in every single true believer. The conflicts of the second half of verse 16 through 17, you notice there in verse 16, that if you walk by the Spirit, you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Why is that so? Is verse 17, the conflict, the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition continually to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. So there's why we can't love one another in the fashion of verse 13, the way we would like to, is because the flesh has set itself up against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. There's an inner battle raging in every true believer because every true believer is indwelt permanently and presently with the Holy Spirit. Okay, And so there's this battle going on, and sometimes we succumb to the flesh. And if I succumb to the flesh, I will not be loving in verse 13 fashion. I won't be doing that. I'll be devouring. I'll be serving me. And then look at verse 18. He says, but in the contrast to this conflict, if we're walking by the Spirit, he, in verse 18, he comes to this from the perspective of the Holy Spirit. If you are being led by the Spirit, or you could say since you're being led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Because the Spirit is never going to lead you into sin. The Spirit's always going to lead you into righteousness. The Spirit's always going to lead you into Christ-likeness, and there's no law against that, and he'll, he'll show this to us later on here. So it's in that context, please, of our text in verse 19 through 26. How do you know you're being led by the Spirit? How do you know you're not walking in the flesh? Does he just leave that up to us to just to define that? I'm a spiritual person um, just because I say and I'm in, and though my life might look like the devil, I'm a spiritual person. Right? And you might, you might come across those people. I'm, maybe Eddie does on the street a lot. You know, I'm a spiritual person. You know, um, how do I know that I'm being led by the Spirit? How do I know I'm walking by the Spirit? Well, look at verse 19, please. He says here, now the deeds of the flesh are evident. The deeds of the flesh are evident. Notice what he says in verse 19. He says the deeds, plural. And it comes from a word which means works, acts, activities, operations. Plural because it's each individual. Here, here are the actions, the operations that come from the flesh. As we know, the flesh is that unredeemed aspect of us that's awaiting the final redemption. It's the old man. It's that which is still under the, the, the influence of sin. It's, it's, it's that which battles the spirit. The product of that old nature, if you will, the old man that's still under sin 
is that it leads us into verse 19 and 20. They are evident. They are clear. They, they cannot be hidden. The deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, and sensuality. Right? These are the strong cravings of the flesh, of the fallen flesh. This, this comes from the heart. This comes from within us. Right? Listen to Matthew 7. Listen to this, Matthew 7, or actually Mark 7, 18 through 23. And he said to them, Jesus speaking, Are you so lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that whatever goes into the man from the outside cannot defile him? Because it does not go into his heart, but into his stomach and is eliminated. Thus he declared all foods clean. That goes against Mosaic's dietary law, right? The Mosaic dietary law. What goes inside does not defile you, he says. But he goes on to say this, Jesus does. And he was saying that with that which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles the man. For from within, out of the heart of men proceed, now listen, evil thoughts, fornications, thefts. So there's thoughts and actions coming from the heart, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting, wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness, all these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. Okay? So the, 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 the lust of the flesh, the deeds of the flesh, these begin in the inner person, the, 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 the heart and the mind of the person. So that if a person, Jesus says, if you lust for her, it where? In your heart. You're guilty of the act. So not only are the deeds sinful, but the thoughts. God cares about our thoughts. And isn't that fascinating in that if you did an MRI, <laughs> if I understand MRIs, it goes through that tunnel. Mikey was just at one, right? And it, doesn't it kind of slice and dice you, not literally, but some kind of electronic somethings to take pictures that are of, of your tissues? That's kind of how, righteous, how sin has infected the human. Since the fall, every aspect of my humanness is tainted and polluted with sin. That's the doctrine of total depravity, right? We, we are not, we're, we're not practicing as bad as we could be, but we're all as bad off as we could be. We're all totally corrupt in our person, in my mind, in my, in my words, in my actions, because it comes from within, in my nature, my heart, my fallen nature, fallen heart, is tainted and corrupted with sin. So then the deeds of the flesh that Jesus or that Paul's writing about here in Galatians 5, this is what sets itself up in opposition against the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit wants to lead us in righteousness. Our flesh wants to kick against that and lead into unrighteousness, into sin. And it begins in your mind. It begins in your mind and those thoughts that come to you that you know are sinful, don't let them land. Don't let them build a nest, right? Shoo them away. Be gone with it. I think Manny mentioned something about it. don't let the birds. If you don't want the bird fouling up your hair, don't let them nest in your hair, right? Shoo them away. That's the thoughts. Shoo them away. So then, back to our text, please. In Galatians 5, 19, the deeds of the flesh, the, the product of the flesh, are clear, evident, which are, and then he goes through this list. This is amazing. The, 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 the filth of the flesh can be divided up, and I'm just going to say three categories here. The first one is sexual. The second one, I'm just going to say, is in the worship aspect. And the third one has to do with our personal relationships in 19 through 21. I just want to highlight these things to get this into our brain, that if this is our habit and practice, then we are not being led by the Spirit. We're being led by the flesh. Some of these things we like to justify. Um, we think sexual sins are really bad. We'll stone her for that. But the guy who's uh, envying... 
We don't care about that so much. Well, God does. Right? God does. Look what he says. The deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality. That comes from a word where we get pornographic from. Right? It's porneia. It is to engage in sexual immorality of any kind, often with the implication of prostitution. Okay, so pornography is included there. It includes any sexual act which God does not permit. This is a work of the flesh. Second, look what he says moving down through this list. After immorality there, second on my list here is impurity. It speaks of filth, dirty, rubbish. It has an, it's a broad term that refers to any moral uncleanness in thought, word or deed filthy minded dirty minded immoral that's this word here that comes from the flesh third one in our list is sensuality sensual sensuality this is behavior this is fascinating this is behavior completely lacking any moral restraint no self control whatsoever in this in this category of sexual sin it usually has the implication of sexual licentiousness, licentious behavior that's extreme immorality. In some languages, it's equivalent to living like a dog. What a perfect description. It's to live like a dog. TDNT went on to say it's to act like a goat. Some, some, some say it's to act like a rooster. That's how grossly impure this is. This, this, but this is the deeds of the flesh. And this is, isn't this what characterizes any culture outside the Bible? Any culture that's not influenced by the gospel is characterized by these gross sexual sins. So you have immorality, you have impurity, you have sensuality. That means no control. Um, sexual behavior with no limits, no boundaries. Well, there's more. He goes on in verse 20 here, and it says idolatry. Idolatry. This has to do with, obviously, worship. It's the worship of anything or anyone other than the true God. We often think it's only the bowing down to a carved idol or carved image but Colossians 3 equates greed with idolatry. Covetousness is idolatry. Well, in what sense? Right? That's fascinating. Because that's in, the, that's in my mind, isn't it? That's in, my, that's in my, my desires. Greedy. Insatiable. Right? I want more, more, more. I'm greedy for it. Greedy. So, so what Colossians is saying in Colossians 3.5 is that this heart that is so cannot be satiated, it cannot be fulfilled and longs for and lusts for more and more and more, so much so that it will do anything to get it, you see, that's an idol. And it doesn't have anything to do with the little wood carving thing. It has everything to do with my heart's desire to live my life entirely to reach that object, to get that satisfaction. That's fascinating. Be it in the sexual realm or money or power or position, whatever. If, if that's taken over us, that greed, that covetousness is longing for this thing I don't have and I'll do anything to get it. And that's to be idolatry. Well, that's a deed of the flesh. That's a work of the flesh. Okay? Um, you know, when you, if, if, if we went back to one to the to the sexual aspect, because there's something I wanted to bring out here, back in verse 19, the immorality, impurity, and sensuality. That that sensuality has this idea of wantonness. In other words, there's there's no boundaries, there's no limit. It it is a vice that throws off all restraint and flaunts itself. It's unawed by shame or fear. Sounds familiar. Sounds like our local news. Um, what are those uh, shameful acts they do in the libraries? Um, story time. What do you call that? 
drag queen. That's what this is. There's a living color, modern-day example of the deed of the fallen flesh in that gross immorality. It has no regard for self-respect or for the rights and feelings of others, says F.F. Bruce. It has no idea or feelings for public decency. And isn't it the most prominent behavior of the pagan world? A world without the influence of the word of God. For instance, if you think back through the Bible, the Canaanites, the Greeks, the Romans, those cultures were all characterized by this kind of activity. All the sexual defilement. Our own culture, as we're saying, as, it, as we move farther and farther away from the gospel, from the word of God and the influence of the scriptures, um, we become more and more se sexually filthy publicly with no restraint. As we said, those kinds of um, drag queen shows, prostitution, um, child trafficking just is going off the charts. Well, that's a deed of the flesh. That's all related to this text, okay? Those are deeds of the flesh. You know, I, I, I Googled and I looked up real quick to get an idea about this globally. Uh, over a it's estimated over $180 billion dollars is spent each year on the global sex trade. $180 billion. Over 10 million women are in this business of prostitution globally. I found over, it says, over 150,000 new escort ads are posted online every day. Every day. Child trafficking is just in the millions. And the money is really, can't be calculated. You don't think this is a, 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 a relevant expression of depravity. It, it's, 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 it all relates back to our text of the deeds of the flesh. The deeds of the flesh are caught up in the sexual immorality. It's caught up in false religion of idolatry. If we went on to verse 20, please. Look at what it, after idolatry and, and false worship. It goes to a term that's translated sorcery in my New American Standard. I think the King James uses witchcraft. Okay? Now, this is interesting because it comes from a Greek word where we get pharmacy from, pharmakeia. It speaks of drugs. It's, uh, it speaks in, in the ancient times they would use drugs in their worship to get in a certain mindset, a certain trance to call upon evil powers. And they would apparently they th said they would be accompanied by these, by these drugs to give them powers over their enemies. And so associated with idolatry is this sorcery, which is using drugs in, in like gaining power for yourself, calling down curses on others. Black magic was mentioned in a lot of what I read about how the first century used these drugs. It's mentioned, this interesting that this word, pharmakeia, and its um, root is used mostly in the book of Revelation, right? So apparently the, 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 the false worship of the tribulational period during the time of... Um, the Lord preparing for the millennial kingdom is taken up with this kind of false worship with drugs. Drugs is a major part of the life of the pagan world. And isn't it just now it's, it's, it's just taken over? Well, it's a deed of the flesh. The fallen human is not well-meaning. The fallen human, apart from God's grace is evil to the core. And please get this. Satan's not mentioned in any part of this text. We're all very capable of this apart from Satan. Right? The fallen human is very capable of being just what this says. And we, we like to blame Satan on it. Well, he certainly has a part in it. He, he comes and finds very willing participants when he tempts us to do so. But you will not mention, you will not see the devil mentioned in any of this here. The deeds of the flesh are evident, very clear. In verse 20, we said idolatry, sorcery, 
that religious aspect of us. Now, it'll move on from the sexual part and the religious part, the worship part. Now, the last part of verse 20 and 21, he gets into our personal relationships. This is fascinating. Look at where he starts in verse 20 after sorcery. Enmities. Enmities. Plural. So it's a, a multiplicity. It's just a many different shades of hatred. The Greek term could be translated hatred. It denotes a primary feeling of enmity between two groups. It's being the enemy of. It's in constant, constant combat. Hostility. Okay? If there's hostilities in your life, it's because you're walking in the flesh, not in the spirit. If there is, if there is animosity between us and we're, we're going to do battle, right? I guarantee you the Holy Spirit's not involved, right? You've told him to t- take this one out and we'll let the flesh get after it, right? Um, he goes on to say this, after enmities, strife, uh, the word could be discord, this is the natural result of hatred. It's, it, no doubt it's a problem in the Galatian church because he's bringing it up here. It, when you have legalism, you're going to have hatred and discord because legalism is a part of the flesh. It, is, it has the idea connected to this word strife. It has the idea of contention, bitter disagreement, quarrel, arguments. Um, if you're characterized by that, it's because you're not walking in the spirit Jealousy, he moves on, please, third, and we'll, we'll blast through these. Jealousy is the, this intense negative feeling over another's achievements or success. This is not godly jealousy, but fleshly, ungodly jealousy. This jealousy is to resent the success of others. There is, there, there is this, this, I can't stand that. You got something better than I, or someone said something to you that I wish they would say to me, and so inside I'm seething. I have animosity and hostilities, jealousies, right? Oh, praise the preacher. What, what about this preacher? You know, there's so many. You go to pastor's conferences, I'm just saying from experience, there's so much of this garbage that goes on, you know? It's sickening. It's a work of the flesh. It's a deed of the flesh. Mamas are jealous for someone else's kids. You know, pastors are jealous because of someone else's fruit. I wish I could play guitar like you, man. I'm jealous, so you know what? Don't come back here again. You make me look bad, dude. Right? That's what this is talking, you know. But isn't it interesting? That's a deed of the flesh. It's in, and it's in the context of all the sexual sin. And there's not levels of, oh, this is really bad and this is a little less. It's all the deeds of the flesh, you see. And so he goes on, please, in verse 20. After jealousy, naturally you're going to have outbursts of anger. That's fits of rage. Uncontrollable rage. That could end up in all kinds of other sins, like murder and whatever else. But that's a, that's a fruit, that's a, that, that's a deed of the flesh. He goes on after outbursts of anger. He says disputes. D- disputes is, comes from a word for selfish ambitions, self-interests. Selfish ambition is the, the self-aggrandizing attitude. Uh, I'm always promoting me, promoting me. It shows myself, trying to show myself greater and better than you. Well, you can see these are all kind of interrelated somehow, right? You can't just dissect them because if there's jealousy, you're going to end up in these dissensions. And if you have outbursts of anger, it's because you have strife and animosity and hatred, you see. It's all the deeds of the flesh. And isn't it interesting? He says it's evident. You don't have to ask... You don't have to, to try to analyze and say, is this the spirit or not? <laughs> no, if, if, this is, if this is happening in your day, trust me, rebuke yourself, <laughs> right? Repent of your sin and call on the spirit to give you the grace to not do this, okay? And he will. But no, go on, please. Dissensions mentioned there after disputes. 
Dissensions has the idea of factions. Very interesting. A divisive party. Party spirit. Us against them type of thing. I'm of the Apostle Paul. I'm of Peter. I'm of Johnny Mac Daddy. I'm of R.C. I'm of, you know, that's all, that's all related here. That's all fleshly. Okay, it's all fleshly. Even, didn't Paul say that? Are you not acting kind of worldly when you do that? Right? And, the, and then this, the, the factions at the end there in verse 20, this has to do with like heresies. This is a division or groups based on different doctrinal opinions. And so, and loyalties are divided. Instead of unity and peace, there is this this two-party spirit that comes from pride and arrogance. And and it's a deed of the flesh. And it causes this dissension and these factions. and, And it's enmity, strife, and jealousies. It's filthy. Filthy. If a family lived like this, what would you call that family? Dysfunctional. Wouldn't you? That's a dysfunctional family. They need a lot of help. Yeah, they need to get saved. They need the gospel, don't they? Can you imagine a church like this? Yeah, I've seen them. It's like, whoa, run for your life. Run for your life. Because this is the deeds of the flesh. Look at what he goes on now. He moves on into verse 21. Notice what he says. He goes in 21 and says, envying. This is an evil feeling. This is a wrongful desire to possess what belongs to someone else. I've been eyeing your guitar, dude. You know what? And so I'm going to plan your demise so I can take that home. <laughs> That's envy in this context. Okay? It, it's, it's, it's the sinful nature seen to be responsible for the breakdown of interpersonal relationships in homes, churches, and public society. The, 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 if envy is, is active in a family, in a church, it is highly dysfunctional. Okay? And then he moves on in 21 after envying drunkenness. Well, that's a given excessive liquor, intoxication. By the way, can I say this just by experience? (laughs) That drunkenness only enhances the previous virtues that went before it. Okay? They they enhance them. They, They enhance them. So drunkenness does not make you better, right? It makes you worse. And drunkenness, it's, it's not, obviously, it's not a, a uh, prohibit, pro, prohibiting wine or alcohol. That's not what this is saying. What it is saying is drunkenness, intoxication, is a deed of the flesh, right? And this intoxication here is connected to the next word, which is the last in our list, and that's carousing. These are like drunken revelry, drunken parties. It's like the drunk sailor staggering down the road waiting to go to the next party, the next fight. That this, this is what is taken up in this life here. Now, if you put all that together, that's a pretty, pretty worldly bunch. And I must say that, that this was me before Christ, to be honest. I had no qualms with any of this before Christ. Because it was my natural territory. It, it, my fallen flesh longed for this. My fallen flesh produced this. And I, I readily took it in, the lusts of the flesh, you see. But in contrast now, now he's talking to Christians. He's talking to a church. Who, and he's saying, hey, use your freedom to love one another. Don't bite and devour one another. How can you do that? Walk by the Spirit. Be led by the Spirit. Well, how do I know if I'm being led by the Spirit? Well, I'm glad you asked. Here's what it looks like when you're not walking by the Spirit. But then he goes on in verse 22. Now, remember, the evidence of who he belongs to is being shown up here in verse 22. And this is a lot. This is like taking a shower. This is really nice, right? This is is really good. Verse 22, he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is... 
Love, joy, peace, and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. There's no law against being kind. There's no law against being loving. And it's the fruit of the Spirit. Now, if a person is in the previous section of deeds of the flesh, and this is what characterizes a person's life, that they are characterized by these different deeds. Look at the warning that's given in 21. He says, things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So you see, if we're practicing this, that's the key word, practicing, in other words, this is characteristic of my life, then he's saying that person will not inherit the kingdom of God. So it's evidence of who you belong to. If your life is characterized by this, and I think it's important, and I really want to make this effective to us, and I don't want us to just blow over this, because it's in the text, it's very serious. We, and I'm, I'm guilty of this, and this is why I'm throwing this out here, is I often can see the sexual sins as the really bad, and I can justify myself pretty easy in these other things, you know? I can do that. Outbursts of wrath. You know what I call it? Righteous indignation. <laughs> right? Just call me Elijah. Right? Got the little badge right there that says Elijah. Right, right there, right? I can justify that because there's times I'd rather take a sword, <laughs> right? Well, that's sinful, but I can justify it and even promote myself, right? Because I love me more than anybody I've ever met. So I coddle my sin. I, you know, pat myself on the head. But if you do this, you know, but I, I want us to see, I want God to use this in our lives to analyze ourselves, right? Okay, so we're not in the sexual immorality part. What about enmities? What about strife? Does strife characterize your life? Well, if so, don't justify it. Nail it for what it is. It's a deed of the flesh. It's sin. It's sin. You see... Do you see what I'm trying to get to? I, I, want, I want my heart to be exposed to him as he wants to expose it. And he says that strive, jealousy. Are we jealous? Check your heart. You know, I, 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 I wish I could be like that. I wish I could sing like that. I wish I, could, I, I wish I had it that much, you know. And inside... You have these secret little animosities. I wish I could play cello like Daniel. <laughs> right? And, and as you grow in that, right, I say, man, I want to be like that. Right? I'm tired of you being like that. Give me that thing. Right? And then I practice on it. Right? But it's out of, it's, do you see what I'm trying to get to? is don't justify sinful thoughts that come from my heart that is labeled here as deeds of the flesh because this is what destroys fellowships. It destroys families. So instead of being in 19, 20, and 21, which is to be not in the kingdom if that's your habit, but verse 22 in the contrast, notice... The fruit of the Spirit. Now, our, our English is kind of like the word, like deer, right? There's, there's a deer over there. Or if you saw 400 of them, it'd still be deer. Right? There, you don't say deers unless you're from the city somewhere, but, you know, 400 deers. You don't say that, right? There's 400 deer over there. There's one deer over there. So when you look at the fruit of the Spirit... In, in the English, you could look at that and say, is that plural or singular? Back in 19, it's deeds plural of the flesh. 
But verse 22 is fruit of the Spirit. Well, it's fascinating, but in the original, it's singular. So it sees the fruit of the Spirit as one whole, where the deeds of the flesh are each individual acts of what he just listed there. And you could be guilty of practicing three or four of those things, but not all of them. But the fruit of the Spirit is one as a whole. So then if the, fruit of the, if the Spirit's working in your life, you mind me picking on you? Because I always come this way, and it's always the person in the front. Right? If you want me to pick on Daniel, I'll change. Right? All right. Um, being mean to our guest. Um, if, the, if the Spirit is active in your life, and you're submitted to the Spirit, you're walking in the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, He's going to produce love but not to the expense or the neglect of joy and peace if he's producing love he's producing all the rest of those at the same time because it's singular fruit of the spirit as opposed to the deeds of the flesh you might be in sexual immorality but you might not be drunk right so you see what I'm trying to say? So what Paul is saying here, I believe, when he says in verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit, the, the singular product of the third person of the Trinity is these nine aspects of the one fruit. In other words, if Jesus Christ is the perfect personification of the fruit of the Spirit, did he lack any of those? When he's being loving to you, was he not being kind? Was he, you know, he, he was all of these all at the same time at the max. And that's who he, the spirit, is producing in your life and mine is making us more like Jesus Christ. To be more like Jesus Christ is the fruit of the spirit actively working in your life, producing love, joy, peace. Now, it's not going to be at the maximum level because we're growing as we grow in Christ's likeness in our surrender to the Spirit's work. But if he is, think of this. How do you know? This, no, might be blasphemous. How about? <laughs> Use your sanctified imagination. That's a tree. Okay? Now, Rebecca, tell me what kind of tree that is. Exactly, you don't know until when it starts producing fruit. Because I'm not a farmer, right? I'm not familiar with trees, so I could go buy an apricot tree when it's dormant and say, wow, there's a tree. I don't know what kind of tree it is, but it's a tree. Farmer could tell you, but I'm not a farmer. But anyway, so the tree is only revealed when it produces fruit. The spirit, it's, do you see, who are you following will, will come to the surface. Your life will prove who you're following. No matter what you tell me, you can profess one thing and live like this, and your profession is false. You see, are, am I walking in the spirit? Well, let's see. Is your life characterized by love, by joy, by peace, shalom? Peace with God, but peace this way. I think he's, I think he's looking this way, man, right? Because he's contrasting legalism. Legalism cannot do verse 22. Legalism only does 19 through 21 because it's a work of the flesh. It has no power over the flesh. Remember in 13, you were called to use your freedom through love to serve one another. Well, look at the first aspect of the fruit of the spirit in 22 is love the spirit produces this in my life he produces joy 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 not fake stuff this is deep down in your soul the result of the working of the spirit of God in your soul producing a joy that cannot be calculated. It cannot be, it cannot, it cannot, you cannot comprehend how this person in this situation can be joyful because it's a gift of God. It's a work of the Spirit. 
You surrender to him and he produces that. That's what he's saying here. If you're led by the spirit, he's active, you're passive. He's producing this. You don't all of a sudden say, I'm going to produce joy. No, you surrender to the spirit and he produces joy. While he's producing love. Look what else. While he's producing peace, shalom, and patience. Patience. The word there, patience, is a cool word. I've lost my notes, but I'm sure I'm found here. I don't know. Yeah. But it, it, it has the idea of long-suffering with other people who are difficult. It's not patience in a situation. It's you being patient with me. And I'm trying, you know, I'm, I'm testing, I'm real irritant. But you have the Holy Spirit working in your life, and it's amazing how patient you are with me. You see, that's what this is. As opposed to envying, slander, and bickering, and bitterness. No, it is love, joy, peace, patience. Look what follows. Kindness. Kindness is a great word. It's benevolence in action. Benevolence in action, such as God towards fallen man. Right? Um, it's God's kindness towards sinners. It's, uh, he causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust because it's his nature to be kind. Though he's righteous indeed, but he's kind. He loves his enemies. He does good to those who hate him. Right? He does kindness. Does kindness characterize your life? If it does, it's because also in your life is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, followed by goodness. A lot of these, they're, they're kind of interrelated in some way, you know. Um, this goodness that comes here, this is like uprightness of soul that then reaches out to others. It's a righteousness that seeks the good for others. It's, it's to do goodness to others even when they don't deserve it. That's the Spirit's work in our lives. If we're only doing good to those who are good to me, even the flesh does that. Right? Even the flesh can fake that. He goes on to say here, please notice, after goodness is faithfulness. What a great, great attribute, if you will, to be faithful. God cannot be otherwise. God is faithful perfectly. God is faithful to his own. The Son of God is faithful to the Father. The Father is faithful to the Son of God. The Holy Spirit is faithful to the Father and the Son. The Father and Son and Holy Spirit are faithful to the church. They're faithful to the believers. They cannot be otherwise. It is a quality. It is an aspect of God that is true of those who belong to God who are being led by the Spirit. That's awesome. To be faithful, what a text. What a, what a cry of our heart. And then, Lord, make us faithful. Make us faithful. It's a fruit of the Spirit, praise God. And then from there, he goes to gentleness. Please. 23, verse 23, gentleness. This is a person who's submissive to the word of God and who is considerate of others. Even when discipline is needed, to be gentle, gentle at heart, gentle in spirit. Uh, next week in, in um, Galatians 6, that the same idea is mentioned. Those of you who are um, spiritual, restore such a one in gentleness. That's, that's what here you are, the fruit of the spirit, is this gentleness. What would be the contrast to that is harshness. Right, a, a, a harsh, abrupt way. If you've ever been around harshness or if, you, or if you've ever been harsh yourself, you know exactly what this is. I've been harsh before. And I probably will tomorrow. I hope not. But people who are characterized by this 
love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness, they are showing that they are regularly under the influence of the Holy Spirit, okay? Which gives evidence that they are justified by faith in Christ. In verse 23, let's finish here. He says self-control. This, this is self-mastery. It, it no doubt relates to the curbing of the fleshly impulses that have been just described. It suppresses them, and it deals even with the thoughts. This is impossible to attain to apart from the Spirit of God. It's impossible to suppress the deeds of the flesh apart from the Spirit of God. Okay? So it's evident in our lives that we are living this out, the fruit of the Spirit. And he finishes in 23 at the end there. He says, against such things, the things just mentioned in 22 and 23, there is no law. There's no law against love. There's no law against goodness and kindness. Right? And then he closes in 24 through 26 after showing the, the contrast between the Spirit, the flesh and the Spirit and showing that the power to live out freedom is, is to walk by the Spirit. Notice where he goes in verse 24. He talks of death in verse 24. In verse 25, he'll speak of life. And then he closes in 26 with not to be fleshly. Interesting. Verse 24, now those who belong to Christ Jesus. Right? So here's the provision for victory over sin because here he's going to show that we do not have to be responsive to the sin nature. Now get this. Listen to this. I don't have to sin. I will, as you will. But do you have to sin? I don't have to sin. I could walk by the Spirit. I could, this text in 24 says, I have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So technically, don't get me wrong here, I don't have to sin. I will, because I will fall prey to temptation. I will, I will choose to walk by the flesh at the moment and not by the Spirit in these things. But I don't have to. I'm a new creature in Christ. Are you a new creature in Christ? You're a new creature in Christ. Look, this is what he's talking about, I think, in 24 and 25. He says, now those who belong to Christ, who are those? Believers. Right? Those, those are the justified by faith people. They are the ones, in verse 24, who belong to Christ. What have they done, in verse 24, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires? That's interesting. What happens in crucifixion? You die. So look, what, look at the tense, have crucified, not future, not presently, but it's looking backwards. Sometime in the past there, those who belong to Christ have crucified, put to death, the flesh with its passions and desires. Fascinating. So is this talking about perfection? No, it's talking about the tyranny of sin. This is Romans 6 kind of language, right? This is, your old man has been crucified so that the, the power of sin has been dealt a death blow. But it's like guerrilla warfare. There's still this temptation. There's still the battle. Because we just read, right, in verse 17, the flesh sets its desire against the spirit. But I'm no longer like I was before I came to Christ. I have, by coming to Christ... I have crucified my old man. That's the death that we died with Christ. So look at verse 25. He moves on to living. If we live by the Spirit or since we live by the Spirit, that's every true believer, let us also then walk by the Spirit. What an interesting connection. Since I'm alive in the Spirit, and if you're born again, the moment you came to Christ, the Spirit made you alive, came and indwelt you presently and permanently, and made you spiritually alive. While he made you spiritually alive, your old man was crucified with Christ, put to death. So you're no longer under the tyranny or the power of sin. That's why you're not under the law. Okay? 
But there's still, there's still sin resident in the flesh in the sense that it, there's like guerrilla warfare. And these temptations, and we fall to the temptations. But since we're alive in the spirit in 25, look at the exhortation at the second half of 25. Let us also walk by the spirit. Well, this is, what, this is culminating what he's been talking about here. Since you are a new creature, now live as a new creature in the power of the spirit. Walk in the spirit. Verse 25, where it says, walk by the spirit. It's, it's a fascinating text in the sense that it means to walk in line or to keep in step. It's like marching, if you can picture in your mind uh, a great army marching and how perfectly they were in step when they marched. This is what this is saying. Keep in step, keep in harmony with the Spirit of God since you are alive in the Spirit. Okay? Listen to Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave, me, gave himself up for me. So Paul says, my old man was killed. When? When he came to Christ. See? When you came to Christ, you were crucified with him. Galatians 6.14, he, he, he speaks it, of it like this. He says, but may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. And then he mentions being a new creature in the next verse. He, through coming to faith in Christ Jesus, the world was crucified to him and he to the world. In other words, he's dead to the world that he used to know. He's no longer of the world. He's in it, but he's no longer of it. He's no longer influenced and desirous of the worldly things. He has lived out, he is living out Philippians 3 where he says, I count it all lost that I might gain Christ. This is what he's saying. And notice he's applying it to us. If, since we live by the Spirit, verse 25, let us also walk by the Spirit. I have to read this. Listen to Romans 6. I'm, I'm just about done here. But listen to Romans 6, 6 through 11. And I think this really parallels what we're talking about. Paul writes, Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him. Okay? In order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves of sin, for he who has died is freed from sin. For if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Okay? Now get this. Let's talk about death and now present life. Christ has gone before us. We are in him. And then he says this, as a result of what Christ has done, even so, consider, think, calculate, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Those who have come, who belong to Christ, have crucified the flesh and its desires. Since we live by the Spirit, been made alive by the Holy Spirit, let us then walk in step, keep in step, keep in harmony, walk after Him, let Him lead, follow Him, you see, and present yourself to God as alive from the dead, you see, and your members as instruments of righteousness. This is what he's saying, I think. And Spurgeon would say this, Christ has freed us from the penalty of sin, no condemnation. He has freed us from the power of sin, so we're no longer slaves of sin. And we're waiting to be delivered from the presence of sin. That will be final redemption, see? So then, he finishes in verse 26... 
that if we're going to live by the Spirit and keep in step with the Spirit, he finishes with, let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. Strange ending, but I think it has to do with the, with the fleshly, living fleshly in this world, and we can become arrogant of our spiritualness, our spiritual maturity, and we challenge and envy. Those are all deeds of the flesh that he mentioned back in 19 through 21. So all this to say, beloved, of which are you characterized? Deeds of the flesh or the fruit of the Spirit? You've been, if you're in Christ, you've been set free to not serve yourself, but free to serve one another as slaves. So look to Christ. Let this text examine our hearts in that which is revealed and uncovered as sin. Thank him for his forgiveness. Thank him for the cross. Thank him for the resurrection. Ask him to cleanse you, 1 John 1, 9. And then call on the Spirit to live by the Spirit, to keep in step, to walk in the Spirit. The world needs us to be more like him. Let's pray. Well, Father, thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace and mercy in our lives. We thank you for the Holy Spirit. We ask that we would yield to him each and every step. We want him to make us more like Jesus because we want the world to follow you. We'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.